0: Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowey. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the upcoming ACT election due on the 17th of October. I'm joined by two guests today. My first guest is Kevin Bonham. Kevin is a freelance cephologist who analyzes election counts and polls at his website. Hello, Kevin. Hello. And my second guest is Stuart Jackson. Stuart is a senior lecturer in the Department of Government and International Relations at the University of Sydney. Hello, Stuart. Hi, Ben. So the ACT election will be held on Saturday the 17th of October, although how much it'll be held on that day, that's that's a conversation we will get into. Labor has now been in power in the ACT for 19 years straight, that's five terms of government, and the Greens have held the balance of power continuously for the last three terms since 2008, and there's been a Greens minister in this Labor-led government since 2012. At the last election, Labor won 12 seats, the Liberals won 11, and the Greens won two. Stuart, Labor has been in power for almost two decades. Do we expect an its time factor in the ACT? You would otherwise
1: think so. Certainly if we saw this in New South Wales or Victoria, we'd be very surprised to see it lasting as long as it has. That said, um, it is the ACT. It is Canberra. Uh, It has a, if you like, what's always believed to have had a natural uh, Labor, Labor Green tendency And, of course, we do have a federal government that is um, obviously a Liberal National Party conservative government. So there'll be a certain amount of reaction against. And at the end of the day, the ACT people in Canberra are reasonably comfortable. So would they need to necessarily um, change horses at this point in time? Yes, maybe they feel it's time for a bit of a change. But actually, nothing seems to suggest they are really, really upset about you know, the the tram, uh, except that maybe they can't get onto it. You know, aside from things like that, um, I think mostly Canberrans are reasonably comfortable.
0: So we don't really have any reliable polling. There's been a couple of small polls, but uh, not really anything that we could really hang our hats on. But it wouldn't take much for the Liberals to get to 13 seats. Kevin, do you want to sort of explain what voting system they use in the ACT?
2: So the ACT uses very similar voting system to Tasmania, the Hair Clark system, where you have five electorates which each return uh, five members via a system of proportional representation with voting for individual candidates so that the vote tends to get spread across the candidates.
0: Each party can run up to five candidates. Usually the major parties do run five candidates. And Those candidates are randomised on the ballot using Robson rotation, which is a Tasmanian invention. So that does tend to mean the vote gets evenly distributed within a party's group. Uh, We might talk later about how um, that can be politically advantageous too, but the voting system in itself encourages that, short of particularly popular or prominent candidates. Um, so the vote does tend to get evenly distributed. So the counting system is very similar to what's used for the Senate, but the way those votes are translated from the voter's mind into the count uh, is quite different and thus means the vote gets distributed amongst the candidates a lot. It's probably also worth mentioning that uh, until 2016, there were only 17 seats in the Assembly. Now there's 25 Um, The old assembly had three districts, one of which elected seven members. And then there was a big redistribution before 2016. And now we have this five times five model. So that's a relatively new innovation that's involved a larger assembly and um, more even electorate sizes. That's the state of things. And it wouldn't take very much for the Liberals to get to that 13 seats. They would need to win two extra, either off Labor or the Greens. And that wouldn't require a tremendous swing. But we don't we don't have a lot of information that, that tells us much about whether they're on track for that. You know, except for the fact that the Labour Party and even the Labour Party and the Greens collectively have been in power for a very long time.
2: The Liberals are the, there is one seat that they are very very close to picking up that's sort of notionally theirs if you assume votes flow exactly the same way as the last election. But beyond that it does require uh, quite a, a big swing, and so it's also important to consider uh, alternative pathways for the Liberals to to form government. If if some fourth party can win a seat somewhere, then and they will work with the Liberals, then the Liberals only need only need 12, and I, I I think that you know sort of 12 is much more plausible than 13. 13 does actually uh, does actually need a much bigger swing than is obvious when you just look at the votes based on individual uh, candidates. But uh, these, as with the last ACT election, we we see sort of a very large flood of uh, minor parties uh, contesting this election. Most of them not particularly prominently, and um, most likely they're just taking votes off each other and uh, driving up the uh, the exhaust rate. Few of them appear to be prominent prospects. There has been some interest in the the, the Belco party, which is only running in uh, one season as a form of uh, um, liberal leader on its ticket, but um, the sort of opinions vary as to whether that's a contender and. Uh, a lot of them are just sort of not, you know, they're going to pile one or two percent and do nothing. It's is not a very good system for obscure fourth parties to run in.
0: Historically, the ACT did tend to have more parties or independents in the assembly, right? Like the, I mean, it was a different voting system, but the first assembly had a tremendously large crossbench. But even more recently, there 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 were Democrats and there were also more conservative. Um, independents who held seats, and the Liberals have never won a majority in the ACT. So while there has been periods of Liberal government, that was always with the support of those other forces, which currently don't exist in in the Parliament. Labor has only ever won majority government for one term, and that was to 2004 to 2008. But they have otherwise been able to form a, what it seems to be a pretty stable and consistent alliance with the Greens. That's a bit of a weakness for the Liberals that they don't really have any natural partners in the ACT who would be in a good position to help them govern what is traditionally a, a centre-left jurisdiction?
1: Yes, I agree with you there, Ben. Although, I mean, just checking, you know, the, the, the types of groups that are, are running, you know, the uh, Animal Justice Party is running again. But we also have Shooters, Fishers and the Farmers popping up, um, which is a little bit interesting, given that I wouldn't have thought that the camera was necessarily a, a, a happy, happy hunting ground for them. But there are a variety of, of parties appearing this time that I think might just be a little bit on the, on the right, as opposed to necessarily being on the left. You know, Animal Justice Party would normally be expected to be there. We haven't seen the Conservative independents, the Dykes, and all the others, um, Malmeningas and the, the not Malmeningas, but yes, all those sorts of candidates for quite some time. But that doesn't mean that they can't re-emerge, and certainly with, with uh, an increased number of little parties that actually are relatively serious about what they're doing. They're not the you know, the fried green tomatoes party or you know, party, 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 or the ones that existed previously, which were certainly in the early days not at all serious. Um, I do think the new voting system was intended to try and actually get to the heart of what Canberrans actually wanted, um, whereas the old system, certainly the old electorate system, um, I think was skewed towards the major parties in a particular way. Yes, you had the opportunity for um, uh, those high profile independents. Um, but you I could also add that, you know, you didn't have the, you know, 40 years of People saying, I vote Labor, I vote Liberal. You do now, but certainly back in the the mid-'80s, you know, you you didn't actually have that. So you had people experimenting, and thus you saw that crop of uh, interesting and sometimes wildly amusing
0: candidates. The ACT generally, in terms of federal politics, is a very progressive place. It's probably Australia's most progressive jurisdiction. It has a very high Greens vote. Has a very high labor vote. The labor vote tends to be further to the left, but the liberals in the ACT are really right wing. Like they are, they are not moderates. They are not like governed by kind of Malcolm Turnbull style centrist liberals. You don't find the kinds of people who you might find like Trent Zimmerman on the North Shore of Sydney or people like that. Zed Seselja, who's the senator from the ACT, uh, Jeremy Hanson, Alastair Coe, who are the former and current leaders. So those are I've listed there the last three leaders of the party. They all have a bit more in common with the Tony Abbotts of the Liberal Party than the Malcolm Turnbulls. And I'm really curious about what people think about why that is the case in the ACT. Like, why are they not able to kind of differentiate themselves and say, we're in a place that is a more progressive community, a lot of public servants, a lot of high education people, so we need to tax slightly differently in order to win power here. Why do you think that is, that that doesn't happen?
1: I actually think it's a product of the nature of canberra politics there's always been certainly when it comes to you know say a senate election federal election you know the yes you're right the liberal party manages to to win um either in its own right that 33 percent that they require or you know with the help of whoever the christian democrats are certainly remember at least one election two elections actually assisting them over the line so we know that there's at least a conservative electorate there and i would have actually said given Ned ledger is, of course, a very conservative individual, that they actually are still going for that conservative element. I wonder also if you don't have a group of people within um, the conservative circles uh, within um, Canberra that are actually, if they're soft liberals, and the Malcolm Turnbulls, if you like, uh, they've actually gravitated towards more independent candidates. Uh, you had that option, whereas you you know, the kinds of electorates you've had in you know, New South Wales, you have to have one Liberal versus one Labor and one Green, et cetera. Um, there you can have two or three, and so you can actually throw up different kinds of people. Uh, and if you were a soft Liberal, you might go, well, I could run for someone else, or I could run for this other nice group of people um, who are there about particular ideas about how to structure society, et cetera. You, know, you can have the LDP if you want to go right out on a, on a wing, Um, So I wonder if it is uh, necessarily the nature of the electoral system itself that's tended to have the the Liberal Party as a very conservative organisation, a bunch of independents as, if you like, the soft liberal version or the, the left liberal, for want of a better term version and then you're into the Labour Party and of course you'll have your mainstream Labour and then you'll have the Greens because they've been around in the in the Parliament for quite some time now so they can occupy that other left spot. And so the electoral system itself is what's starting to generate this. Whether it continues because those uh, that, that crop of uh, conservative, sorry, lightly conservative or light blue uh, Liberals have tended to drift away, whether that changes over time, or we're left just with uh, a liberal rump of right wing, um, is another question.
2: Hare Clark doesn't tend to heavily reward or punish a party's choices in seat terms the way that a single seat system does. So, sort of, no matter what you do, you you end up getting more or less the same the same number of of seats, plus or minus a few and uh, that tends to mean that if a party goes towards its ideological inclination it it, it doesn't get obvious punishment for it mm-hmm. um, you don't you don't you know there's, there's not really anything you can do in hair class that gets you wiped out so the the the, the pressures on parties to be sort of moving somewhere towards the centre are probably weaker than they are in other systems.
0: I do wonder what the impact internally on the way the Liberal Party functions of being in a city where the federal government is, the Liberals, particularly with the Liberals being in in government, but even when they're not in government, you know, there's a lot of staffers around, there's a lot of um, uh, people who's interest in politics is very much driven by what is happening federally and aren't necessarily particularly interested in or engaged in what's happening at the ACT level. Right. So there's those sort of people probably exist in the Labour Party too, but they're they're part of us. s they're a smaller part of a bigger pool. Whereas I think I suspect those people who they live in the ACT, they live in Canberra, but really their focus is on federal politics because they work in federal politics, I think are probably a much bigger influence on on the Liberals. And in that regard, you know, the the you might you might work for a very conservative politician who represents a more conservative constituency in a in a different part of Australia, and that has more influence on where you think the party should be. Particularly when there aren't really any prospects for the Liberals to pick up, like a moderate Liberal isn't very likely to pick up any seats on a federal level in the ACT, right? Like their their Senate seat is pretty solidly locked in. Uh, there's been a lot of really uh, serious attempts to dislodge the Liberal Senate seat over a long period of time and no one's really been able to come close in the ACT. Uh, and then even though there are now three districts in the House of Representatives for Canberra, uh, the Liberals aren't really competitive in, in any of them. I also wanted to ask about Labor and the Greens. So they've been in a pretty solid alliance now for 12 years. Jane Rattenbury, who uh, is the Greens Minister in the government, was appointed Speaker in the 2008 Parliament. And then in 2012, the Greens were reduced to only one seat, but they had the balance of power. So he took a ministerial role that he still holds to this day. And um, there doesn't seem to really be much prospect of that alliance changing. And there also isn't doesn't appear to be a tremendous amount of wiggle room between the parties. I mean, it's it's one of the most progressive Labor parties in the country, and ACT Greens. I wouldn't call them conservative, but they do tend to be very much um, process driven and uh, very much a pragmatic party. You know, they are a party that comes out of a constituency that's very much driven by federal public servants. And so they're not exactly the most radical or uh, out there Greens party around the country. So, I mean, it's not, it's not exactly of the sort of stability you usually see from the Liberals and the Nationals, but it's, it's about as, as uh, close as Labor and the Greens have ever been in Australia.
2: It's quite a contrast to uh, to Tasmania, where uh, in Tasmania, uh, being in government and relying on the Greens is electoral death. Uh, every government that has done this has been smashed. Um, you, you know there are there are certain issues in Tasmania that sort of unite supporters of the two major parties against the Greens, and those issues. Uh, don't exist in the uh, in the act you don't you don't have sort of uh, um, resource industry uh, issues driving wedge politics against the greens or anyone who unites with the greens and as a result it seems that that some labor green alliances in the act are uh, quite um, stable and uh, the, the electorate doesn't seem to have a particular problem with it whereas it's quite a, a contrast also with the, um, with the Gillard government which was the, the, the sole federal example we've had of this sort of thing which was uh, was also uh, heavily punished.
1: I do also think that there's the ACT being you know a, a small land area in the middle of a bigger state being New South Wales is at least partly driven by the politics of New South Wales. Uh, and by that I mean the issues, the local personalities, the kinds of things that happen at local levels in places like, say, the south coast uh, of New South Wales, like in Queen um, but also like what happens in and around Goulburn and the Southern Highlands, and New South Wales politics more generally. We saw that with COVID-19 recently when. Uh, the ACT said, well, we have to do what New South Wales does because we're in the middle of New South Wales. We can't really be separate. And so there was a e- equivalence, if you like, between the two uh, in terms of their kinds of responses. Um, certainly the ACT, uh, in terms of the Greens and Labor, uh, has been at least a little bit driven by elements of New South Wales politics, certainly around forests. They will have been affected by bushfires. Certainly they've had several large bushfires that have threatened and indeed burned out parts of the ACT. So um, there are elements there that we go, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a separate state, but it is actually impacted in a way that Tasmania um, isn't because it's not, you know, Tasmania not being connected to the mainland isn't directly impacted. It's impacted in different ways, certainly around um, resource issue or resource use, but also whether the mainland wants their power, um, the kinds of services that are delivered to Tasmania, federal funding uh, and the like. Whereas the ACT, I always come back to something that was noted in the 90s, that the ACT had the highest level of credit card repayment. That is, all the other states and territories tended to have, you know, a certain number of defaulters. Or, you know, so many people couldn't pay off their whole credit card debt, except in the ACT, when two-thirds of people would pay off their credit card every month. So there was a certain amount of middle-class wealth there, which does make it uh, different to other states, even while it might be impacted by the state around it.
0: So a constant theme with all the elections this year has been the impact of COVID-19 on the election. There's really no evidence of COVID-19 being in the ACT at the moment uh, or in any of the surrounding parts of New South Wales, but it's still going to be a factor in terms of people choosing how they vote in a way that is socially distanced. The ACT has made it very easy for people to vote early. They've more than doubled the number of early voting centers. And incidentally, they've also slightly reduced the number of election day voting booths as well. They've made it very easy. And at the point of recording, we're recording this on Friday morning, the 2nd of October. As of the end of Thursday, almost 11% of all enrolled voters in the ACT have already cast their vote via pre-poll. So we're expecting a very large pre-poll vote on uh, to be counted really early on election night because those pre-poll votes are being cast electronically. The Elections ACT is actually hoping to get those figures in well before seven o'clock. And then from that, they should, because they won't just have the primary votes recorded on the computer, they'll have all the preferences. They should be able to do an interim distribution of preferences for what they estimate could be as much as 80% of the total vote by like eight o'clock on election night. So we will have a preference count with kind of uh, an interim predicted winners on election night. And then they will just need to count the primary votes and then. Data into the preferences for those paper votes counted, whether they are on election day or postal voting or other means, which is going to make a radically different election night if it comes off the way that they promised.
2: It's going to be fascinating because you're going to have sort of a, a provisional result of the election, supposedly out within an hour or so after polls close, based on these electronic votes, and then the the question is going to be, what's left. How atypical is it if it's you know if it's a lot of if it's a high weighting of postal votes that might boost things for the liberals to a degree um but if then again if it's you know sort of a lot of votes cast on the day may well favor the left more um and so we're going to have a sort of a provisional result, and we're just going to have to look to see. Uh, what seats within those distributions are are close and might still be uh, um, undone by the votes to come, but probably we'll know the result of almost every seat very quickly.
0: It's basically the culmination of what's been going on for a long time with pre-poll voting, right, where effectively there is no election day in the SCT. There is just a final day of voting, and voting is a, is a three-week process that we're already one-third of the way through, you know. Uh, the first four days had a very consistent number of votes cast per day, and that was roughly the number of votes cast on the Tuesday and the Wednesday before Election Day in 2016. So that that suggests we're already getting those high levels of votes that normally come in the last week. I would expect there to be a trend up anyway in the last week, but um, it basically means there's a three-week election period in the ACT. If you're a politician or if you're someone who wants to reach voters, you're already starting to lose them. Like people are already having cast their votes, and uh, certainly there will, there's no point having last-minute election surprises. So, finally, let's run through the five electorates and what we think the the final seats that are, that we think will probably be in play in this election. Let's start with Marrambidgee. Marrambidgee um, covers the kind of the the southwest of Canberra, not the inner suburbia, sort of uh, Woden Valley, Western Creek. Uh, those kind of areas. Uh, At the last election, Labor won two seats, Liberals won two and the Greens won the fifth seat. Uh, That went to Caroline Lacuda, who is now retiring, but she only narrowly won over the Liberal and the redistribution has added uh, kind of the Yarralumla-Deakin area on the south side of Capitol Hill, which is a very, very strongly pro-Liberal area to the point where you could argue that 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 final seat that went to the Greens is effectively now a notional Liberal seat. Kevin,
2: I've looked at that quite quite closely, and it is very marginally a notionally Liberal seat. Of course, assuming everyone votes the same way as last time, of course you get all kinds of complications with you know, sort of votes shifting to and fro with fourth parties and so on. Um, the I think the main point to make here is that the the Greens have they they need to they need to uh, improve their uh their vote share or have a more favorable breakdown of votes by candidate but they can take votes from either party and uh and, and win the seat. They don't necessarily have to take them from the uh, from the liberals. They could take votes from from Labor, and uh, and retain the seat. Uh, that way, so long as they didn't overdo it, if they took a real heap of votes from Labor, then you might get a result where Labor would drop a seat to the Liberals. It doesn't, um, but uh, it's not sort of straightforward that, that straightforwardly between the, the the Greens and the Liberals in terms of the swing there.
0: So that's the Liberals' best chance of winning a 12th seat. In terms of winning a 13th seat, I kind of see two different seats that could be a possibility. Uh, the first one is Yarrabee, which is the northern edge of Canberra. It's basically Gungahlin and a little bit of Belconnen. The, the Liberals polled just under 36% there in 2016. Uh, Labor holds three seats in that electorate and the Liberals hold two there isn't really much for a prospect for the Greens in that area, but it's an area where Labor did very well last election on the back of building the light rail to Gungalin, which, you know, the light rail has, has now had four years to embed itself. And I'm not sure that that swing will necessarily unwind itself, but that seems like if the Liberals were to get to that 13th seat, it would require a decent swing, but that's probably where it would happen.
1: Looking at the area, and it's been a you know, site of fairly considerable growth within the ACT over the last, you know, certainly the last seven to 10 years and considerable growth. Um, just know, knowing that parts of the area, it's uh, the number of houses that have gone up around Farmhouse Creek is quite startling. Uh, and um, not medium density, but there's certainly uh, smaller plots and, you know, taller houses rather than, you know, the old quarter acre. Um, The Greens do have the potential, if the gloss comes off Labor, of actually picking votes back up. So, you know, I would be thinking that while the Greens don't have a huge opportunity, they do have an opportunity depending on how the Labor votes actually spread themselves out. Um, Yes, the the Labor Party had a real capacity for spreading their vote across um, their candidates uh, whereas I actually think the Greens, if they have their single candidate that's doing particularly well, might have an opportunity of actually um, sliding ahead and also maintaining that. I mean, in, in one respect, if the Labor vote drops not 5%, which was the swing last time, but certainly in the 3 or 4%, that would actually start to open up the extra seat as much for the, the, the Greens as it does for the Liberals. And of course, the Liberals have to also maintain their two seats. You know, if they go up a little bit, great, right, that puts them in in the frame. But I do think that the Greens have got a, an opportunity there. I mean, we also have to remember that there will be a bunch of other candidates who will have had a vote. So there's a Democratic Labor you know, standing, Sustainable Australia, Canberra, Progressives, you know, Animal Justice again, So uh, and you no know, six Party. So we might see some interesting movement of um, votes in Urabi So you know, that's, that's my take on it. It could be interesting. Um, I still think that it will be either a Labor or a Green seat as opposed to uh, a Liberal seat. But I could be wrong.
2: This is the one where I've done the most analysis because of the, uh, the article that was published by the ABC claiming that the Liberals were very uh, close to winning this seat, which I um, d- disagree with for uh, a large number of reasons. Uh, I get that the swing of the Liberals need to pick up Yarabi is close to seven percent, all else being equal. I mean it might be it might be four or five percent if candidate factors worked in their favour. Uh, it is interesting that they have their their, uh, their leader in this seat, which might be an, an asset for pulling votes, but it also it's also a double edged sword because it concentrates uh, the votes more within the leader and then makes it harder to spread the vote across the, the candidates.
0: Mm. Alistair Coe does not need those votes, and that's probably an inefficiency for them if uh, another candidate gets knocked out without getting those votes. So that's Abbey. The other place where the Liberals theoretically could win a 13th seat is Ginandera. So that's the electorate that covers most of the Belconnen area, sort of northwest of Canberra. Uh, it's an area that the Greens have previously held a seat in the past, and... Um, and it's it's a place where Labor did very well in efficiently distributing their votes at both the 2012 and 2016 elections to win that seat ahead of the Greens. The Greens, I'm sure, would, would very much like to pick up that seat, which they last won in 2008. Uh, but, you know, if the Liberal vote picked up, that could also be an opportunity for a 13th Liberal there.
2: I think this one is very difficult for the Liberals. They need a very large swing to get themselves to the point where they can... Uh, withstand the preference flow between the Greens and Labor when one of those is knocked out?
1: I think there's something else in this with the the Belco party and Bill Stefaniak um, running. Um, There's, uh, I think, an interesting mix of other parties that might actually, this is where Shooters, Fishers and Farmers are running, might actually start to uh, impede the Liberal Party uh, in terms of taking away from their primary. Yes, some votes will come back on preferences, but not all necessarily. They may scatter. So I actually think this one's actually going to be tricky for them um, and could be where the Greens could also um, profit, if you like, uh, from, you know, perhaps climate change Justice Party uh, actually also channeling a few votes potentially through to them. I have three candidates. therefore and people numbering to five. will might possibly go to either Sustainable Australia or more likely directly to the Greens. So uh, this is the one, these are the seats where I actually think there's a, a real opportunity. The Greens got close last time. Um, they would be hopeful of winning there. Uh, if, if the limited polling we've seen uh, says anything, that might actually be the place where the Greens could pick up a seat. I don't see the Liberal Party winning there. As Kevin said, they need a very large swing. They do have some other uh, organisations, parties that will be pulling primaries certainly off them and then allowing them to scatter. So I think it'll be uh, a little bit more of the same perhaps the Greens getting up over the third Labor.
0: We talk a lot as if we're assuming the Liberals are going to gain ground, but of course they they could lose ground. We don't really have a lot of polling here. There could well be a scenario where the government increases its majority. And the other two electorates are probably the places where that could happen. Brinda Bella which covers the Tuggeranong area in the south of the territory, uh, is the strongest area for the Liberals in terms of uh, seats. It's the only place where they hold three, although interestingly their primary vote was a little bit lower than in Murrumbidgee, but they did win three seats. It's entirely possible they could lose that third seat, probably to Labor rather than to the Greens or to some other candidate. Uh, And then we also have Currajong, which is the kind of inner city heart of the territory, covers the inner north, a little bit of the inner south. It's a very good area for the Greens, and it would not be inconceivable that we could see the left winning four seats there, either the Labor Party picking up a third seat or the Greens picking up a second seat and depriving the Liberals of a seat there. So, you know, while the Liberals are probably focused on their opportunities for gains, those those two districts are also worth watching.
2: Brenda Bella, this was a strange seat last time because the Sex Party um the Greens. And finished, I think, seventh after preferences. They were quite competitive. It's also an old one because it's one where Labour did extremely well on the spreading of the votes between their candidates. And uh, despite starting half a quota behind, they actually came uh, came quite close to beating the, uh, the Liberals with the addition of uh, Greens and Sex Party preferences. So uh, it is quite. Close on paper there. And it is one that's, you know, sort of people are talking a lot about the, the prospects of, you know, sort of how do the Liberals pick up two seats? Where can they do it? Um, but not so much about the fact that Labour is uh, one seat short of majority government. And this was a very close seat last time in the end.
1: Yeah, Brindabella, I, it should naturally be, I, remembering the area. I, I once upon a time, worked down there. Um, it should be a natural conservative area. Um, they cocked a, you know, fairly sizable swing at the last election, um, and that's, you know, where the Sex Party suddenly roars into contention with almost eight percent of the vote. Well the Sex Party's not on the ballot this time. There's the bunch of other parties, you know, Shooters, Fishers, and Farmers, Sustainable Australia, Liberal Democrats. Um, it's quite a goodly ticket there, and it would otherwise favour um, the Liberal Party simply because there isn't that sex party re-channeling, if you like. Um, so I actually think that the, the Liberal Party, um, I wouldn't have thought that they're on the target to lose the seat there. I'd actually expect them to rebuild their vote down there and I would be looking for them to actually consolidate that third seat and. And I think it was you know, almost fortuitous for the Labor Party to almost win the seat, but I think it will be actually unlikely this time round. I mean, that said, uh, you know, you never know what what can happen in a big city. I don't see the Greens as getting up, but they've been at a higher vote before. They've been at a you know, uh, over well, at half a quota previously, so it could happen. Um, I still see the Liberals actually um, consolidating that third seat though. But there's one point on. The, the policy issues you've mentioned about you know, light rail and development. Um, light rail is an issue um, of of an odd sort. Uh, I have family that live in Canberra and their complaint about the light rail is not that it's disrupted everything, not that they have to get used to you know, the, the lack of buses and the new light rail. It's, their complaint is that they can't get on. They live in places like and areas that are relatively close to the city. Um, and it's full by the time it gets to them. So, their issue is actually they want more light, so they can actually get on. Um, the development issue, again, is one that uh, will always impact the ACT given its very um, uh, uh, low rise nature, it's very open development. Um, but actually, revitalizing the inner, inner urban areas uh, is something really positive for the area and I think actually people who are living in those inner urban areas recognise that the, uh, the revitalisation of a number of the old housing settlement areas is actually really positive. Um, it'll actually make the place uh, b- perhaps a little more livable. Um, certainly as you come down Northbourne Avenue and you're, you're running into all the, the uh, rebuilding of the old flats, um, yes it looks like a bit of a building zone. Um, but actually the stuff that's going up there now um, looks a lot better than some of the old stuff that was built out of the 70s. So, you know, development will always be an issue. You know, can I get a house that's at least vaguely close to a parkway or close to where, where you work, you know, in one of the departments? Um, but that's just the nature of you know, the ACT. You have nice wide roads. Everybody drives you know, reasonably well. They now have a, 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 an improving public transport system, needs to go a bit further, but this this all comes back to that very comfortable nature of Canberra.
0: I was listening to a Canberra Times podcast where they did talk about uh, how possibly more so than would be the case in a bigger state, the look of Canberra and the, the shape of Canberra can be quite significantly affected by whether there is a Labor-led government or a Liberal-led government. In that the Liberals are very much their agenda is about opening up new suburbs on the outskirts of Canberra and expanding Canberra outwards, whereas Labor has very much focused on expanding Canberra upwards and concentrating development within the already developed areas. Although of course there is the Mulonglo Valley development uh, in the in the west of the territory, um, so that so there is still some growth on the outskirts but I think you know if you had a term or two of liberal government you would see quite a different shape of Canberra after that time in terms of how far people travel where they live uh, whether people spend more time on the roads uh, or you know how walkable it is but also how much space people have around them and that that does feel like that is one of the big issues that that people uh, can decide on you don't really get a sense that people are very unhappy with the current arrangements, but uh, that—that's a choice that's in front of them.
1: Well, you know, just sitting on that, I mean, the Barton Highway redevelopment and out know, to yes, yes, having you know the potential to have large developments um, out there as a dormitory suburb, and not unlike you know how Queenie at times and the you know flats uh, and the areas around there have become partially dormitorized. You know, they become the dormitory suburbs. Um, so I think you'll see it around. Yes, that means that the highways etc. have to be rebuilt. People have to be able to travel there. There is bus services, but they're privately run and uh, not super efficient. So there will be complaints from people about why isn't Labor doing X or Y or Z. Um, I noted that the uh, was the uh, Progressive Party or Progressive Independents. Uh, are wanting a more accountable um, government. As governments become unaccountable? Yes, it's nice, but we also want accountability. So this that, that actually plays back to your original question about, um, you know, is 12 years too long? You know, perhaps there's a, a you know longer. Uh, is there a need for the Labor Party to be out of office for a term or two so that uh, people can then go, oh, actually, we did like what we had?
0: So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Stuart and Kevin, for joining me. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you. And thanks, Kevin. You're welcome. You can now find the Tally Room Guide to the ACT Election in full, published at www.tallyroom.com.au slash ACT2020. The guide features profiles of all five electorates. I'll also be jumping in on the blog with occasional updates. Uh, There's an update uh, today on Friday uh, about the distribution of votes within the major parties that has a big impact in terms of distribution of votes between candidates within the major parties that can have a big impact on who wins? You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to tallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Chris DeBro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.